0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Purity, righteous living, accompanies a true work of God, or true spiritual power is going to be accompanied by purity. So in other words, if we expect God to be working among us powerfully, then we have to understand that that's going to happen in an environment of Purity.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, in a message titled, Purity and Power. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: So today, we come to the first internal encounter with sin and with Satan, and and really the first internal attempt to derail what God was doing. The story is important because it shows us that the enemy doesn't only attack the church from the outside, but he also seeks to bring it down from within. As a matter of fact, that has been his most effective means throughout history of hindering the mission of the church and so we see that here notice here at this point it's not an attempt to smuggle in false teaching that is going to happen as we go along in the story and this has been something that has occurred over and over again in history but, but rather here this is an attempt to get dishonest morally compromised people in position within the church. So it's an effort to compromise the purity of the church. And the lesson in the story is that purity and spiritual power go hand in hand. So in other words, if spiritual power is to be maintained and spiritual power is necessary for for the progress of the church, then there has to be purity. Now, one of the great tragedies of church history is the church's failure to follow God's instruction in dealing with sin. And, and because of that failure, the church has been plagued by scandals and it's been hindered in its objective of getting the gospel to the nations. I mean, if you just read church history, you realize how big of a failure there has been in that area. One uh, scandal after another over the long history of the church. But what it shows us is that church leaders must be proactive in dealing with sin in the church, just like we as individuals have to be proactive in dealing with sin in our own lives. And the beautiful thing we see here is that Peter is proactive. Peter does the difficult thing, and he confronts this attempt at bringing in compromise into the church. So we're going to look at that. There are five things in the text that I want us to see. But the first thing before we get to those five things is let's talk uh, for just a minute about the severity of this judgment because I think everybody who reads the story thinks to themselves like, wow, that is pretty intense. I mean, you know, they just were kind of lying a little bit and they're struck dead. What, what is that all about? And obviously thankfully, that doesn't happen today, right? Because, uh, you know, churches would be even smaller uh, than they are today if that were the case. So what is this? Why such a severe judgment? Well, it seems that we have this pattern in the scripture that whenever God does a new thing, that initially what he does is he sets a high standard that enforces it through a rather severe judgment that will remind future generations of how serious God is about his word. So we have other incidents in scripture that are similar to this one. And each time they happen at a moment when there's a fresh work of God being introduced. So that's what we have here when we come to this story here in Acts. The church is new. Things are just getting underway. And so here we see that God sets the standard. Now, like I said, obviously he hasn't enforced this throughout the history of the church, but what we need to know is that God hasn't changed his mind. So even though he doesn't enforce it in this way, the standard is still the same. So sin in the church is not you know God's going to deal with it at, at some time or another. That is something that we need to know. So having got that covered, let's move on. And I, I want us now to look at the five things here in the text about purity and power. So number one, Satan will always try to find a way into the church. Now you might say, well, why are you talking about Satan? Because what do you mean Satan? This is Ananias and Sapphira. But remember what Peter asked Ananias. He said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? So you see behind the scenes, Peter can see that the devil was at work. Now, honestly, I doubt that Ananias knew that. I don't think Ananias made a covenant with the devil and said, hey, all right, I'll be your agent. Let me get inside the church. No, But the devil comes along and he suggests to Ananias, you know, you can go in and you can look really good, but you don't have to give all the money. And so there's a conspiracy that Ananias and Sapphira develop, but it's one that's been inspired by Satan because Peter sees behind that Satan is trying to make an inroad into the church. So here, let's get this guy in a place of position in the church. He's compromised, he's hypocritical, and let's use him to to try to derail what's happening. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that this kind of thing happens because Jesus warned us that this would happen. Paul, the apostle told us this would happen. Jude wrote about these kinds of things happening. So The reality is not everyone who seeks to serve in the church is genuinely seeking to serve God. And like I also said, they're not necessarily knowingly serving the devil, but they are serving the devil. Because if if a person is self-serving and not genuinely God-serving, then whether they know it or not, they become an instrument of Satan to try to in some way hinder or derail the work that God wants to do. So that's the first thing we need to note. Secondly, sin must never be accommodated or tolerated in the church. It must be dealt with swiftly and decisively. Now, obviously, there is sin in the church, right? But the leadership, you know, should should be unaware of it if it's not dealt with. Now, you obviously can't deal with stuff that you don't know about. But once it becomes known, then it must be dealt with. But there is a a temptation not to deal with it because of the difficulty. There are challenges when it comes to these kinds of things. You know, confrontation isn't an enjoyable thing for many people. It, it's a rather unpleasant thing. And sometimes because of the unpleasantness of it, some people are just gonna say, you know, I don't wanna deal with it. They're just gonna, you know, kind of turn a blind eye to it. But know this, if we turn a blind eye to it, it's, it's only a matter of time before that sin starts to take its toll on the, the life of, of the church. But it has to be dealt with. Sin must never be accommodated or tolerated in the church. Once it becomes known that there is a sinful situation, it it has to be dealt with uh, swiftly and decisively. And swift and decisive judgment is a good thing because it produces the fear of God in a church. And the fear of God is necessary to prevent more sin from rising up now notice here as we look at the story as we just kind of go back over it really quickly here as you know so Peter deals with Ananias why have you let Satan fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and then he addresses the actual issue here of what they did you know they saw that that this man Joseph, or his name became Barnabas that he sold a piece of land he gave it Uh, Obviously, this was something that people were really blessed by. And, you know, it it gave Barnabas, who was a humble man and a sincere man, it gave him recognition among people that, you know, he was a godly man. So Ananias says, Well, I want that same recognition, except I don't want to really, you know, give all my money. But Peter says, Well, you know, it was in your power to begin with. Nobody asked you to give anything, but he conspired. And so Peter addresses it. And Ananias, hearing these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Now, three hours later, his wife comes in. She doesn't know what's happened. Verse 8, Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out. And then immediately she fell down at his feet and also breathed her last. The young men came in, found her dead, carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. So you see, when sin is dealt with swiftly and decisively, it produces fear of God in the church. If there's anything that the 21st century church could use a serious dose of, that is the fear of God. Now, the fear of God is not this thing where we walk around, you know, just living in a state of condemnation and uncertainty about our salvation. And, oh, we're just so afraid that God is going to just punish us any moment for our failures. That's not the fear of God. That's an unhealthy and an incorrect Understanding of the fear of God, if that's what you think about it. The fear of God in the biblical sense is a respect and a reverence for God that causes one to shudder at the thought of displeasing or dishonoring him. The fear of God says, you know, I love God so much, I fear offending him. and God's not easily offended. There's a healthy fear of God. You know, it's good for us to be, you know, at times concerned that you know maybe we're not right with the lord it's good for me to analyze myself it's good for me to evaluate it's good for me to think about is my life really pleasing god and if it's not where do things need to change that's a healthy thing a healthy fear of god is the byproduct of having Sin dealt with. People realize, whoa, this is serious stuff. I don't want to be engaged in that. I don't want to be tripped up in those kinds of things. Fourthly, we see here that purity, and when I'm talking about purity, which you know the message today is purity and power, purity is not simply, and I say this because a lot of times when we think of purity, we think of it in a, like a sexual context. Purity. Is bigger than that. It's what we're really talking about here is righteous living. So, you know, there's no sexual immorality here, but there's impurity. Impurity in what way? Well, the hearts of these people are impure. They're hypocritical. They're dishonest. They're not truthful. They have no integrity. So, that's the kind of impurity that we're talking about. And that kind of impurity will hinder the work of God. So purity, righteous living, accompanies a true work of God, or or true spiritual power is going to be accompanied by purity. So in other words, if, if we expect God to be working among us powerfully, then we have to understand that that's gonna happen in an environment of purity. As, as we come to our conclusion, we are living, as you know, in wicked, wicked times. But our primary concern should not be with the wickedness in the world, but rather the sin and the unrighteousness in the church. Now, this is where we have to really be careful because, you know, a, a lot of times as we, we think about the prevailing wickedness in the culture, we in the church, we have a tendency to point to the places that we we consider to be the sources of this wickedness. But you know, what we are supposed to do is we are to make sure that the unrighteousness in the church is dealt with. You see, we cannot necessarily do much about the wickedness in the world but we must deal with sin in the church. And oftentimes, this is the problem. This is, and this is why the world's looking on and thinking, you know, we are a bunch of hypocrites because we are condemning and criticizing everybody else out there. But everybody knows very well that we've got the same stuff going on right in our midst and we're not dealing with it. So we can't do that. We've got to stop doing that. This is exactly what Paul told the believers in Corinth. Listen to what he said, chapter 5, verse 9 of First Corinthians. He said, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside the church? Do you not judge those who are inside the church? But those who are outside God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves the evil person. You see, that's the priority. Paul says, you know, those people out there, that's God's he's the judge. He's, he's going to deal with that. But when you have people in the church, when you have people in church leadership who are guilty of these kinds of things, whether it be sexual immorality or covetousness or idolatry or, you know, reviler or drunkard or extortioner, he says, no, this is the problem. So we have got to deal with our own issues We've got to deal with the the sin in our own midst. We've got to deal with the sin in our own hearts. Now, here's the question. Are you accommodating or tolerating sin in your own life? Are you making room for sin? Are you making excuses for sin? Have you become so calloused That you're actually blinded to the sin that you're involved in. You know, this is what happens with sin. Hebrews chapter 3 refers to the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceptive. It fools us. And you know, there are people who are in sin and they're, they're no longer even able to recognize that that's the case. You know, I can think of people who, you know, go on as though you know, praise God, hallelujah, just loving Jesus and literally hating their brother, hating them, wishing them evil, wishing them harm. And, you know, but they can't see it. I mean, they're praising the Lord. They, they, don't, they don't even recognize what's happened. That's what, that's what sin does. That can happen to us. And so we have to we really have to do what David said. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, and know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me. And Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. Forgive me and, and bring me out of this. So if, if we personally are tolerating sin in our lives and, and listen, this is the place we start. You know, we, we tend to, you're talking about, yeah, you know, sin in the church and sin in people's lives. And isn't our natural tendency to think, oh yeah, yep, right over there there it is. I know that sinner. I know what that guy's doing. You know, don't do that. <laughs> T- take that finger and point it right at yourself and just say, okay, wait, what about me? Because that's what we're talking about here. That's where we, we, we must start there. You know, Jesus put it so humorously, really, when he said, you know, how is it that you have a plank in your eye, like a you know, literally like a four by four, how is it that you have a plank in your eye and, and you're going to try to get the speck out of your brother's eye? He says, no, no, no. First get the plank out of your own eye, then you can help your brother get the speck out of his eye. But <laughs> we, we, we always want to get the speck out. But you know, when you got a plank in your eye, you can't even get close enough to your brother to get the speck out because you got a plank in your eye. So we're not to do that. But even, you know, that's the, that's the personal thing. But remember this too, that your sin doesn't just affect you. You see, Peter understood and the devil understood. If I can just get these people in there, I can mess up the whole thing. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to mess up the whole thing. Because your sin doesn't just affect you. It can affect the entire work that God is doing. Remember, we referred to Achan earlier, back in the time of Joshua. And what happened there? Well, here's a guy who, you know, they're going to go into Jericho. Now God's taking them into the promised land. They're starting with Jericho. God says, everything in Jericho belongs to me. It's all dedicated to me. Nobody's to take anything for themselves. But this guy Achan, he sees this Babylonian garment and this wedge of gold and he steals it. He takes it for himself and he digs a hole in his, the floor of his tent and he buries it there. And he thinks, no problem, nobody knows. And so then they go to continue in their conquest of the land they go now next to the city of Ai and the city of Ai is much smaller than uh, Jericho so their reasoning is you know Jericho we took that no problem Ai is not going to be a problem we don't even need that many troops let's just send 3000 we don't re- really need the the whole army to go out here and they went to Ai and they were defeated 36 men died And Joshua comes back and he's on his face before God. And he's like, Lord, I can't believe it. You let us down. We were trusting you. You told us to go and take the land. And now look what's happened. We were defeated. And now all the nations are gonna surround us and they're gonna drive us out and destroy us. And you know, Joshua's going on and on like this. And the Lord says, Joshua, get up. Joshua, there's sin in the camp. And then Achan was eventually exposed and dealt with. But the point is, Achan's sin affected the whole nation and affected the whole mission. The mission couldn't go forward because of that sin. And so, you know, that can be true in the church too. The mission can't go forward because the sin is holding it back. So, So we have got to make sure, personally, we must judge sin swiftly and decisively, and that's true for you and for me individually as Christians it's true for me and our pastoral staff here as we think of it more in a congregational level but it, but it's true across the board in the church if the church is going to have power to fulfill the mission that God has called us to fulfill then We have to have purity. There has to be purity. Not perfection, but purity in the sense that we're not going to let known sin go unaddressed in our midst. Whether it be known sin in ourselves personally or known sin in a congregation, we have to deal with it. And they dealt with it And they thwarted the devil's efforts to derail what God was doing. And the work just not only continued on, but it escalated into more power and more conversions. And and the gospel kept advancing. That's what's at stake, the advancement of the gospel. So God help us to be pure, to live righteously, to truly fear God, so that His power might remain among us.
0: For the month of March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, One Minute Answers to Skeptics, Concise Responses to the Top 50 Objections and Questions by Charlie Campbell. Learn how to give a defense for the faith in a conversational style and strengthen your own confidence in the existence of God and the reliability of the Word. The book, One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443. as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.